little Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy. Hopefully our next guest, Mr. Paul Allen, will tell us why. Vikings fans, no need to worry. We can still be happy. I am with what was a great season, but it ended a little abruptly. Hour one ended abruptly with one of our great sponsors. Let's pay homage to them right away here. Absolutely. We'll start with Arola Architecture Studio, Hoops Brewing, OAR Holding, Sammy's Pizza, Advantage Emblem and Screen Printing, Justin May at Messina & Associates, Avenue 45, The Blackwoods Group, Brian Bement Mortgages with Supreme Lending, Mount Royal Bottle Shop, Kohler Toyota and Kohler Hyundai, Stewart's Bike Sports and Trophies, and the Incline Station. Brian, we've got a great group of sponsors. You know, if you're listening to us, make sure you spend your money there. Absolutely. And our money man is Mr. Paul Allen. The Vox, the voice of the Vikes, is back with us. It's been a while. Good morning, sir. And how are you on this Saturday? Where the heck you guys been all my life? I know, right? It's like a reunion that's uh, way too far in between appearances. How are you doing? Well, I can't, um, I can't tell people whether to worry or not. I mean, that that's them. Uh, but when it comes to don't worry, be happy, I mean, I must concede that, you know, today would have been the day we would have left for San Jose and um, had a game tomorrow against the 49ers. People can uh, formulate the opinion all they want that, um, well, you know, I mean, you would have gotten killed by the 49ers and that whole thing. Okay, whatever. Uh, we, um, well, I still, um, still really wish we were heading to uh, Northern California for that playoff game today, and I find myself downtrodden. I don't blame you at all. As much as it's nice to talk to you again, I actually assumed that this week wouldn't be possible either because of the travel and the game that you mentioned coming up. But I texted you early in the week, and on your show you brought it up a couple of times. And my initial thought was, what current defensive Viking players are must-return for you if you had them? And I know you said it's too early to answer that, and obviously since then we've had a not a coordinator change but a coordinator dismissal. So the chicken or the egg question still remains. Is it the personnel? Is it the scheme? Is it the man in charge? Because it's possible portions of all three of those could be changing. Where does the Viking defense go from here, if you can answer it anymore now? Well, all three of it will change because the, the coordinator is out. Um, what, uh, what ancillary moves happen after that? You know, from a coaching standpoint, you know, I, I don't really think there will be any outside of that. Ed son, Steve is, um, is one of the coaches on the defensive staff. And, uh, you know, I find myself feeling bad for him because, you know, granted, uh, the defense was inadequate, uh, more than it was adequate. Um, and, and to get to the uh, root of the problem is obviously what uh, organizations do in situations like this, but, um, still it's somebody's father. You know, I just find myself feeling bad for him. And, um, and secondly, you know, there, there are players on the defense that, that maybe even have super familiar names who won't be on the team next year. So, you know, whether, whether they switch, um, switch from what they were doing schematically, uh, where, you know, O'Connell shared at uh, the press conference, the season closer, middle of the week, that uh, they played a 3-4 defense, I think 25 to 28% of the time. But nevertheless, the, the concepts and the, 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 um, the situation with the nickel, you know, and just the way things were done was just markedly different. And, you know, it, it, you know I said this on my radio show this week on KPAN that, um, you know, ain't nobody trying to get anybody fired. But, you know, nevertheless, from – from a receiver named Quez Watkins for the Philadelphia Eagles. Right. The second game of the year, getting us for 55 yards, middle of the field uncovered, all the way through completely getting lucky that Darius Slayton didn't catch a pass middle of the field to end that game. Well, that 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 was a major, major problem. But there, there, are, there are tentacles to the problem that don't strictly fall on the coordinator. And, and you know, whether that would be – 
the the lack of a pass rush from an interior defensive lineman up the middle. I mean, it just never happened. I think I think Dalvin Tomlinson finished with two and a half sacks, but you don't pay Dalvin to get seven sacks. Harrison Phillips, I, I, I would imagine they felt they would get more sacks out of him, and for whatever the reason, they didn't. Uh, when, when you sign Jonathan Bullard, you don't sign him to have three sacks or more. You sign him to hold up against the run. James Lynch is still very young in his career. He got close, but he didn't get home. So it, Kyrus Tonga was a wonderful addition during the course of the year, but, I mean, I think he has a half sack in his entire career. So, so like, how much of that falls on the coordinator? I, I can't say any, you know, so I'm certainly not saying that, that, you know, the decision they made is something I'm negative on uh, because it doesn't surprise me, but there are just so many things that go into the ultimate team game and 11, 11 people getting together, play after play, after play, after play, after play, and having it go the right way. PA, I actually have question about two players. One, you probably get a lot of one. I'm wondering about, uh, first of all, Garrett Bradbury. Now it seems to me that, Bradbury had took a quite a big step forward in his play, but the injury issue, and now he's in a, a free agent. What do what are we going to do with our center position? Are we going to bring him back? That's a good question. I mean, when when this regime opted to not uh, pick up his fifth year option, I mean that's uh, traditionally speaking, and if you play the percentages, that's kind of writing on the wall that we don't think you're going to be here next year. Uh, then so then they go to Austin Schlopman, then they go to Chris Reed, and then they go back to Garrett. Now, you know, there was serendipity with Chris because Chris had never played center until he was thrust into a, just a very difficult spot at Lambeau Field. Um, but, um, but Chris got, got a lot better in the next game, the Bears game. Now, you know, again, there's an aside to that. How hard were the Bears trying? It's very fair. But, but Chris, is, Chris is bigger than Garrett. Uh, he's stronger. Uh, at least at, at, the, at the end of the season he was because, you know, he had been practicing and his, the core foundation of his body was just in a different spot. Uh, but, but, you know, I wonder what they're thinking about with Chris. Uh, then you have the draft. It shows four picks, but uh, you have compensatory picks coming your way, and, you know, uh, that there could be something done there. So the, uh, the Minnesota Moving Company, the offensive line, you know, had its problems at the end of the year. And in fact, on the um, the season-defining play with uh, the check down shorty to Hawkinson, Ezra Cleveland, you know, just absolutely got beat badly by Dexter Lawrence, and and that's going to happen. It, it it honestly can't happen at that stage of the season, but it did. But like Ezra was one of the best offensive linemen for the team all year, and one of the better guards in the NFL for like half the year, you know. So that that thing fell apart and. And, um, you know, but from a center standpoint, it's uh, definitely something that merits following. The other player that we got a chance to see a lot, but nobody really talks about, and I thought he made a big difference, was our, our rookie punter. I thought our rookie punter was outstanding the this plus year. plus-size punter. Well, I just think that we overlook uh, how important a punter is and, and how well he did as a kid this year in a team that won 13 games. Well, he, um, he was sitting on three uh, long-standing Vikings records into that Bears game, you know, like uh, most punts. Um, now, now he shattered a bunch. He, he shattered pretty much every significant rookie punter record the Vikings have, you know. But but I'm starting to look back at like Jeff Locke and Chris Cluey, and you know, then you go all the way back to uh, to the '60s for uh, punting average and stuff like that. So uh, Ryan's statistical equity pretty much solidified. Uh, how good consistently he was. It's clear he can throw, and um, and and that's something I bet you uh, on which they work more into next year. 
Yeah, but but you don't want to have to punt that much. And and they punted a lot, more than usual. You don't want to be punting that much. And um, hopefully that decreases next year. But but he was just a terrific find. I can appreciate that. Since we're talking about punting, it segues awkwardly into a guy that I want to talk about because he was anointed, I believe, the ninth captain prior to the postseason game, and that's Josh Metellus. He was great on special teams, but is that the kind of kid with a defensive overhaul that could possibly get a shot in maybe a base defense next year? Is that going to be more Brian Osamoa or somebody else? I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, you know, I can't, I can't wholeheartedly, from my football mind or my heart, say that, that you know, say they move on from Harrison Smith for financial reasons or it just doesn't work out or whatever, you know, then, like, I, I'm, not, I'm not immediately going to put Josh Metellus in that spot. Okay, now there's that. Um, now he can earn it, and, and he has a right to improve, which, which he has year by year. And, and he is a demon on special teams, so there's all that. But the, the true reason that, that I'm very happy that you brought that up is he, when, when he got that C, when, when he got that captaincy before the Bears game, um, it's somebody else had talked to him during the course of the week who told me the same thing, and then I'm on the sideline at Soldier Field, and I chatted with him a little bit. And, and the reverence that, that he had for wearing that, that captaincy and just how proud he was that for the first time in his life he earned something like that, well, that, that's like one of those under-the-radar stories for me during the course of the year that's going to stick with me forever. Right. I mean, just genuine appreciation for somebody recognizing you've been a leader all year, you've been thrust into tough spots, you've succeeded, and you failed. And, and you've been your best when your best was required, but we also recognize that just in that phrase alone, people aren't always going to be their best, and that's going to have to be accepted. Um, and, and Josh was just like a child, um, on on some type of kids football team, yeah, and he was picked first, and he just I, it was unbelievable, man. I just uh, I'm a big fan of his, absolutely, me as well. So when we talk about losses or gains on the field, we usually stick to players. What about potential losses on Kevin O'Connell's staff? We've already seen Keenan McCardell getting looked at. That would be a huge loss if he gets employed elsewhere. Yeah, and um, I think uh, was it the Chargers or somebody came sniffing around West Phillips, right? Uh, the offensive coordinator, and and he's like, "No, nah, I'm good. I'll stay here." Um, but uh, Keenan McCardell is very sharp. Um, I've I've said for the last two years, you know, more so off the microphone than than on that that Keenan McCardell will be an offensive coordinator one day. Uh, not only because he's creative, uh, but the way he works with man. I mean, you know, I don't know what Justin Jefferson was like when when he played at LSU. You know, but I just know ever since he's been here, he's been an incredibly humble, upstanding superstar. And I've said this to you guys before. You know, he, he caught two touchdowns against Green Bay and then didn't have a touchdown reception for nearly two months after that. Right. And, you know, with superstar receivers, I've just seen in my career that you got to hide the women and children sometimes when that <laughs> happens because they become divisive and they can become distractions. And he wasn't like that. Even at the end of the year, you know, he didn't get a crack for a quarter and a half and, and no chance at the season closing, you know, jump ball into double, double coverage. And he didn't complain about it. Same thing with Dalvin, you know, that Dalvin's always been a kind of a quiet going guy. And uh, but Dalvin's not a rabble rouser, but right. I mean, Dalvin probably wanted much more responsibility in this offense this year. And, 
and he got some, but I don't. I, I would bet he didn't get what he wanted. But like he, he never complained. And at the end of the year, they both said the same thing: that this group is special. But what has flipped here from last year to this year is palpable, and and a lot of it is under the radar, but it's special. And and that that's what led me to tweet after the season. You know, the, this might be the very favorite season I've ever had calling Vikings football. Yeah. I was out of the facility at practices and just being out there more this year than I had the last five years. Uh, I just really, really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the group. And, um, and they're on to big things from, from a baseline standpoint of what they've established. All right. So, PA, I have to give you the know your audience question that I always do in our area. There's talk of, you know, Minnesota natives potentially not being with this team anymore. And in most areas, you'd think I'm talking about Adam. I'm in Duluth. I got to talk about CJ. What do you think his future may or may not hold in purple? Well, with, with, with CJ, I mean, I guess I and we, generally speaking, don't think of it um, until you know we start to get a little closer. I guess to March when when you got to get the money right for free agency. Um, but um, you know, knowing CJ's uh, core and and his foundation of who he is 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 based not only in scripture but recognizing the, the blessings that he has had all of his career, uh, specifically now in a league that, that really doesn't use fullbacks. I mean, there just aren't many fullbacks on rosters of teams. And, um, and CJ is, he, you know, speak, I, I don't like to speak for these guys much, but I will hear with CJ. Um, I, can, I can just guarantee you that he ain't going to be anxious over anything. Uh, he's going to give thanks, and, he, and he's going to share love for those who now or forever have believed in him. Right. Uh, but, there's, there's, I mean, C.J. has a ton of football left in his career, here, there, or anywhere, and, you know, I, I really hope it would be here. I do, too. So, P.A., my last question is way off the beaten path from what we normally talk about, except for I did text you about it earlier this morning. Now, my next guest is going to be my niece. Nepotism at its finest. Judge me accordingly. But she is a member of the Minnesota Gophers dance team, recently crowned national champions. UMD was at the Division II level as well. Now, you used to be a dance dad. Your daughters competed in this. You know the athleticism and dedication it requires. Talk a little bit about that as Minnesota's become the state of dance as well. Yeah, it, um, you know, for me, uh, my daughter turned 20 years of age a couple of days ago. So I'd say she probably started dancing at seven or eight at the dance art center in Eden Prairie. And, you know, it, uh, there were, there were competitions and, you know, for dance moms and dads listening now, they know what I'm talking about. When competition season happens, you know, you're going to Monticello, then Duluth and Burnsville. And, you know, that, that's just what it is. And, you know, she, she was tall at a young age was Coley. So I had her play basketball for a couple of years, and she was decent, but she was tall. She had good so footwork. The I'm guessing. the road really when it when it came to in Eden Prairie, you know, where where they really prefer you commit to one thing from like a traveling team program or whatever, and you know, so she had a decision to make: Are we going to move forward with basketball or dance? And and she chose dance, and of course, you know, I completely gave the decision to her. And, and honestly, I was saddened when she chose that. I wanted, I wanted her to play basketball, but she didn't. Um, but then after that, I went to a lot of the dance practices and I went to all of the competitions and everything. And just to see what goes in to the learning of not only a choreographed dance, but the physical fitness, the mental wherewithal it takes and the pressure of not being the one to mess up during a dance routine and, and the commitment that goes into 
hip-hop or jazz or any type of choreographed dance where you're competing, well, it, it's extensive. And, um, and it, I'm, I'm super glad that she took that route because it, it, it helped fortify her mentally with tenacity and pushing through fatigue. But secondly, it, it really helped embolden her uh, when, when it comes to learning to, you know, be with a lot of people and get along with a lot of people and right. handle conflict between friends. And there are just so many things that, uh, that are positive about it that I'm really glad she did it. And, and with your niece, man, I mean, that, that, that's great to hear because, I, you know, God rest the soul of Flip Saunders. But, you know, when I first met Flip Saunders many years ago. And yeah, his I'd daughters are friends, dance royalty. Right. And, and they were just getting into the Gophers program and they were unbelievably good. And it was kind of motivating for my daughter. So that's that's kind of the common thread there, man. P.A., you're outstanding. I should have had you on with her. You can talk dance as well yeah, right. as anything. It's almost like you have a great sports show. We'll talk again soon. Speaking of dance, maybe we'll talk when uh, we're going to find out who's going to win this big dance that is the NFL. Thank you for the time today. Thanks, P.A. I appreciate you, man, and thanks for <clears throat> tap dancing your way through the question. Ah, <laughs> I always. All right, I will talk to you soon, my friend. Appreciate the time. That is the Vikes Vox P.A. We're going to talk some dance next. It's a dance party in here. Stick around. Back here on the Northland Sports page, a little born for this. I'll tell you what, the subject ahead is going to be dance, and when it comes to that, everybody in my family was born for that except me. But I'm okay to talk about it and glorify it because it's earned it. Speaking of earning glorification, that qualifies for our sponsors too, Dave Cook. Absolutely. Let's start with Kohler Toyota and Kohler Hyundai. You can reach them at KohlerToyota.com and KohlerHyundai.com. Also, Stewart's Bikes, Sports, and Trophies, The Incline Station, Aurora Architecture Studio, Hoops Brewing, OAR Holdings, Sammy's Pizza, Advantage Emblem and Screen Printing, Justin May at Messina & Associates, Avenue 45, The Blackwoods Group, Brian Bement Mortgages with Supreme Lending, and Mount Royal Bottle Shop. So we have many tremendous sponsors, and get this, Minnesota has many tremendous dance teams, not one, not two, but three national champions, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. We might be the state of hockey, but we should be the state of dance. Hopefully we're both. Isn't it crazy, Brian, something that you wouldn't think, right? If you're just paying attention to the four major sports, you wouldn't even cross your dashboard of life, right? right? And yet we pull out three national champions. But it should for you because guess what? The first one we're going to cover, and Bulldog fans don't get after me because they're going to get their time next week. The coaches weren't available this week. But the first one we're going to cover is the Gophers. And when it comes to Gophers winning national championships – Dave Cook, you're all about that. A hundred percent. It's good to see regardless of the sport. Um, and I think it's really cool that you have to like them too because it's your it's your niece that's on it. You do love the fact that that makes me into a Gopher fan, and I'm all about the family. I bring in my niece, Aubrey Lesty, national champion Aubrey Lesty. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. Very excited to have you. Has that sunk in yet? Because the title in itself has a fabulous ring to it. National champion Aubrey Lesty of the Minnesota Gophers. Yeah, yeah. That I'll tell you that has not sunk in yet. It still does not feel real. It was the most incredible feeling in the entire world. I still don't believe it. Can I can I double up the incredible feeling because maybe the title was wrong because I should have said double national champion. You guys competed in two categories. Said thank you very much. We'll take the top trophy in both. Yes, we did compete in two categories, jazz and palm, and we happened to take both titles, which was an incredible, incredible accomplishment for me and my teammates, and we're so grateful. So talk about knocking off the big rival, because ironically, earlier that same week, the Gopher men's basketball team does not have a high number of wins, but they beat Ohio State, and then so did you, which was huge, because that rivalry in dance, that's probably the biggest. 
Yeah, uh, they they are so talented. They hold us account, accountable to a higher standard, and we are so grateful for them because they keep pushing us, and they come back with something better and better and better each year, and they hold us accountable to do the same. So we are nothing but grateful for them and have so much gratitude towards them, and we love a good, healthy competition, and it's fun. So walk me through that competition because I've seen tons of photos, obviously. Being in the family, the photos are on social media everywhere. But I'll tell you this, some of those pictures, I know it's fun. I know being on the national stage is a great time, but you guys looked all business. What was the atmosphere like around your team going into the performances? Yeah, we do a really solid warm-up. Honestly, we mostly warm up our brains, right? It's all mental when it comes down to that point because you're so prepared going into nationals physically. You're conditioned. You're ready to go that way. But it's that mental prep that's almost just as important. And we really strive for that on our team. We do a lot of circle ups. We try and we call it a bubble. We try and stay in our bubble when there's a lot going on outside of our team. Lots of other teams practicing, lots of yelling, lots of craziness, lots of music in the background. We really try and make it a business trip at that point. We all have so much faith in each other and know each and every one of those people on that floor can do what we know we can do. Right. And we really go into it very mentally strong and just get it done. Absolutely. And you got it done and you'll have a chance to defend set championships because your time with the Gopher Dance team is not done. But what about those that from a national competition standpoint are done? How big was this for the seniors? What were they like? This was everything for our seniors. I have so much respect for them. They have been through a lot. They've been through COVID. They've been through wins. They've been through losses. They've been through a lot. So to end on a double national championship is no easy task, and they accomplished it, and it is a really, 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 really big accomplishment for them. So it was so exciting for them. They were in tears. They were so incredibly happy, just as much as we were, but it was it was a awesome moment for them. So, Aubrey, I was going to ask that. I was going to ask about your leadership this year. And then with your losses, like we'd ask any sport, what does next year look like? Do you have some kids that got a little bit more experience? Maybe they took a little bit more leadership in choreography or anything on that order. What does next year look like? I think next year I'm excited. Our upperclassmen are so strong. We have, I think we have about 13 upperclassmen, so juniors and seniors. So leadership will be super strong next year. We're coming off of a win, which is amazing. So we kind of all have a new fire under our butts a little bit. Um, So I think it'll be a really, really successful season as far as leadership goes and all that goes into that. I'm excited to see what it looks like for us. All right. So, Aubrey, Leslie, I'm going to ask you a question that's a little bit silly and it's somewhat intended to be that way. But you do see this. One of the things that I love about the dance competition, dance team competition results is it's not unlike, say, the beauty pageants where the biggest cheer happens before the winners technically announce because you're kind of doing process of elimination because there's only so many left, and they do it in ascending order. You know, fifth place goes to, fourth place goes to, third place goes to, etc. I saw the eruption from the Gopher dance team when they announced the second place team. Is that when you had a pretty good inkling? Because that, to me, was, was both worth a chuckle and very emotional, too. Yeah, that was a crazy emotional feeling. I Yes, when they announced the second place team, we had known by process of elimination that we had taken the title. Um, it is one of the coolest feelings in the world, and I will seriously never, ever, ever forget it. Um, it's just like all that hard work and all that dedication and all the tears and the blood, sweat, and tears 
went into it, and it was just all that was erased, and it was just so worth it. Can you imagine that, Dave Cook? Picture that in another sport where they announce the runner-up and the place just erupts. The second-place team's going, wow, they love us here. It's (laughs) not quite the situation. No doubt. So, Aubrey Lesty, let me ask you about kind of the winter that's been because the national championship, that's the pinnacle. There's going to be no topping that. But I wanted to talk to you previously, but you had a crazy schedule in prep for nationals because it wasn't that long ago where you were out in New York City experiencing the Pinstripe Bowl. That looked like more of a fun trip than a business trip. You guys had a blast, did you not? Oh, my gosh. That was so fun. We uh, That was my first time in New York. So I really was just kind of open to all all the things in New York. We went to Times Square. Um, we got to drive around quite a bit. It was I had no idea how much traffic there is in New York and how long that would take to get around. <laughs> Tell um, me you're from Minnesota without it, telling it, me you're from Minnesota. Go ahead. Right. Seriously. Um, we got to see Yankee Stadium. It was It was so cool. It was so historical and... I'm not a huge baseball gal, but that made me want to be a Yankees fan because their stadium was so cool. Oh, my goodness. Your uncle's going to have to fix you, but please continue. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, Yeah, our Gophers pulled out a win. It was was a really fun weekend, it was, to say the least. Now, since we're talking about football, I have to talk to you about a certain play that happened weeks before at home at Huntington Bank Stadium. Now, there were times late (laughs) in the year where the Gopher defense struggled but one of the best tackles I've seen came from Aubrey Lesty on the dance team. You and the uh, young kid quarterback had an experience that you won't forget, and thankfully both of you can laugh about it now. Yeah, that was a funny moment for sure. One I'll never forget once again. Um, yeah, he was. I was not maybe paying as much attention as I should have been during the game and didn't realize how close they were to the end zone. And they, he was running at me full speed and I did not get out of the way. I didn't have enough time to get out of the way. So that was a funny one. My coach, Amanda Gaines was like, Oh my goodness, are you okay? We need you for the season. And I was like, Oh, I'm good. He was the one on the ground. Well, that's the thing (laughs) I was going to say. Not not only did you not see him and not be ready, but you gave him the stiff arm. Did PJ contact you after that? I wish, I wish that would be hilarious, but no, he was super sweet. He reached out after and apologized and just made sure I was okay. So I really appreciated that. And I was like, I I think I need to ask if you're okay, you're the quarterback. You need to be okay. That's very well said. We are chatting with Gophers dance team, national champion, Aubrey Lusty. Aubrey, I talked at the beginning that Minnesota is the state of dance because I believe it was St. Benedict's that won a D3. UMD wins a D2. You guys win a division one. I know you know Allie Mackner, the coach of UMD, pretty well. I'm going to talk to her next week. How excited were you to hear that they won, too, and the state did so well? Yeah, it was just incredible. I felt so much pride for the state of Minnesota, and it was so fun to cheer on the teams that are also from Minnesota. The the Tommies are another one. They won in their D1 division. We won in D1A. Um, the Tommies won their jazz division. It was just it was so cool to see – how much talent Minnesota has and to showcase that at such a elite level. Um, and we really just appreciate the love and support we get from each and every Minnesota team here. All right. So I have to talk to you about something that came up the segment before you, and I'll let you go pretty soon because I know your dance business is not quite done yet. We can touch on that too, but Vikings broadcaster, Paul Allen was in front of you and his daughter was in competitive dance for quite a while. And he talked about how important the commitment and the athleticism is but he talked about the daughters of the late Flip Saunders and how influential they've been. They were for you too, correct? 
very influential for me. They were um, part of the pe- part of the committee that helped recruit me to the team. So they were super influential. They actually called me personally to tell me I even got accepted into the school, which was such a cool moment for me. I was in tears when they called me because it was just so sweet of them to do that. Um, they have just been such big supporters of our program, even though they're done. They're not coaching anymore but they have just still been so supportive and coach fellows as well. She uh, was a part of their coaching staff too with the Sonder twins. So it's just been just felt so much support lately from all the alumni and previous coaches of the team. And they are amazing. Absolutely. And of course, the reason we got to cut you short today is because you're helping coach high school, Maple Grove dance team as a competition. As we speak, I believe they take to the floor in about 20 minutes. Now I said as national champion, Aubrey Lesty sunk in yet. What about those high school kids? Now, I know they know you, Coach Aubrey. They you know, see you as the same person. But do you think high school athletes will go, whoa, I should listen to what she's saying. She's won a natty already. <laughs> they, are, they have always been so respectful in all, all the things. They are amazing and so fun to coach. And I am grateful. They, are, they congratulated me right when I walked in the door and my first practice back and they're just so sweet and um, they listen so well and they execute so well and they make my job so easy. So, <laughs> Well, you made our job pretty easy yeah. today. I'll tell you this. I'm bumping out with the Minnesota Rousers, something I never thought I would do in Duluth Radio. But I can tell you this. Your uncle's very proud of you, too. Congratulations. Thank you for the time. Oh, we're all proud of you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. That is my niece, Aubrey Lestie, but she's the national champion for the Minnesota Golden Gophers dance team. Aubrey Lestie, I can only handle so much of this song. Stick around, we'll be right back. (laughs) A little Louie Louie, we gotta go. That'll give you a good hint as to what our Drawing Lines topic is today. Drawing Lines comes to you courtesy of Arola Architecture Studio, the original of all of our sponsors. We have several. Here's Dave Cook with the others. Absolutely. We'll start with Brian Baman Mortgages with Supreme Lending, Mount Royal Bottle Shop, Kohler Toyota and Kohler Hyundai, Stewart's Bikes, Sports and Trophies, The Incline Station, Hoops Brewing, OAR Holdings, Sammy's Pizza, Advantage Emblem, Justin May at Messina & Associates, Avenue 45, Arola Architecture Studio, and the Blackwoods Group. Brian, I had a uh, family member pass away, and we had a uh, celebration of life celebration. Right. Celebration of, you know what I mean. From the um, Department of Redundancy Department, but I got 100%, you. 100%, and we held it on at Blackwoods on 26th, right? Nice. It was amazing. I mean, they, we had the space. The food was all excellent, but the coolest part, and you and Dave talked about it earlier as far as attention by the wait staff, yeah. like their timing was perfect. It was really interesting because when you were visiting, you were visiting, and then when everybody cut, there was a lull, all of a sudden the staff showed up and they talked about water. I mean, Blackwoods, when when you have an event of any kind, Blackwoods knocks it out of yeah. the park, whether it's Duluth to Harbors, Proctor, Proctor. Uh, Blackwater, and you know we head up to Tavern all the time when we have family, so... No, the Blackwoods group is, has been fantastic for us. Yeah, the customer service is top-notch. Ironically, you brought up Dave Hoops and I talking about it. When you asked that question, I could have really shortened the segment and said, give me Blackwoods on 26 or give me Tavern or give me Blackwater. Anything under their umbrella, top-notch. Uh, 100%. You know, when you go to Two Harbors, sometimes you're not, you know, they've got all kinds of fancy, you know, uh, tourist restaurants that you don't right. really know anything about. Well, for me, when I go up there for schools or I go further north and you have to grab something on the way up or the way back, that is the stop, right? You go to Blackwoods and Two Harbors right there on the highway. 100% correct. So when it comes to restaurant recommendations, I will always draw a line under the Blackwoods umbrella of restaurants. Drawing lines today, though, is going to be on the topic of a Twins trade made yesterday. 
and I want to give you a, a bit of a look in as to what some of the reactions were in terms of emotional gamut. Here we go. That was wonderful. Bravo. I loved that. That was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, it though. It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. 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 All right, so that was just me scrolling through Twitter when that trade happened <laughs> yesterday because you saw all of that, and I think, to be honest with you, and maybe this is what makes me the media guy that nobody really wants to listen to because I won't rubber stamp commit to an emotion, but I feel like if you're calling this trade excellent, you're being a little too dismissive, yeah. and if you're calling this trade an aberration, you're being a little too dismissive, and that's why it makes a perfect radio segment for you and I to banter back and forth because there's pros and cons to this, even before it plays out. So, Brian, does this move the needle for you at all? Minimally. That's the hard Minimally. thing for me. I mean, I, I agree. I read all the same sort of stuff and listened to the radio, and, and people are freaking out. And I'm like, okay, so you got a batting champion who was a singles hitter who played first base because his knees don't let him play any places, right. and you traded him for a number three starter. Okay. Yeah, that's that's basically it. And I think that's why that caters to my point of you can't go off the deep end upset but you can't do backflips and proclaim yourself a contender out of this. Now, I will say this. I agree with the fact that people said, well, Pablo Lopez, which is who comes here, the mainstay, there's two prospects as well, but he comes here as part of this Luis Arise trade, probably already is the best pitcher in the Twins rotation now, which I'm okay with, but it's by a small margin. He's not that much better than a Sonny Gray, and depending upon what version of Joe Ryan you get, he's maybe not that and much Kenta. better than him either. And a healthy Kenta, we'll see, but... That health is such a question mark. But the strange part to me is I'm not sure what kind of return you thought you were going to get for Luis Arise, to be honest with you. I know that people loved him, and that's hard to factor out. Right. But if you thought that you were going to get Jacob deGrom, and I'm just throwing a name out there. I know he's not available. He just signed with the Rangers. But if you thought you were going to net deGrom for Arise, first of all, you're wrong. Second of all, there's a segment of our fan base that would have said, well, deGrom gets hurt too often. It wouldn't have liked it anyway. Right. I... You know who'd love this trade? Like, seriously love this trade? Luis Arise. No, Dick Such. Dick Such would have loved this trade because you know what we got now, Brian? We got another pitched contact pitcher. We got a guy who strikes out a few people, nice sinker slider guy, uh, you know, not unlike Sonny Gray, not unlike Wade Malley, not unlike uh, well, Kent. Tyler Malley. Not, but Wade Miley is kind of the same. Right, right. He doesn't right. play for us. So, though. hey, you know, names. <laughs> um but, you know, Kento's kind of the same thing. He's got the splitter. That's yeah. really the only difference. Bailey Ober is at Josh Wine. We got a bunch of pitched content. Scott well, you know Baker what it is. would be great. All of these segments tie together. We talked about speed dating, and that's an opportunity for you to figure out romantically if you have a type or not. Yep. The Twins, in terms of pitchers, sure do. Yeah, 100%. Scott Baker, Nick Blackburn. If I just toss those names in there, they wouldn't be any different. So we traded Luis Orais, who honestly is a bit of a, a luxury because he doesn't have a spot and he can hit right um, for a guy who just kind of blends in with the other pitchers we have. I th and if you believe in pitching depth first, then it's a good trade. If you don't, then you traded away the, the batting champion. Well, and the biggest thing is, are you able to factor out that Luis Arise was your favorite player? And I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the masses no, because I think, of, I think a lot of the extreme opinions are because he was so beloved and from a PR standpoint, I don't agree with this trade. When I deep dive into baseball, I'm okay with it. From a PR standpoint, I said to you right away yesterday, I don't get this from a team that has attendance issues, and you take the one guy that almost everybody, in terms of generation, enjoys watching everybody. play, yep. and you jettison him. That can't help your gate. But at the same time, you go around the diamond, 
And you go, Larissa Rise is kind of a one-trick pony. Now, he's really good at that one trick. Really good. Really good. But he's kind of a one-trick pony who didn't have a position. So, you know, is he that big of a loss? Maybe not. But again, if he's not that big of a loss, what more were you going to get back than a two or three starter? Here's your worry. The, the worry is, and you should feel a little better if you're the Twins, people cared. I mean, that's the one thing this right. trade showed is that the Twins got back in the news. Care. Yes. Um, yeah, I think the tra- honestly, we lo- might look back in this trade in five years, and the key to this trade is the kid shortstop that they got, the number five. Is the- he, though? Because no, now they today. have a long jam of prospects. No, but I'm saying even in the future, because I already said when Correa came back, if you get all six years of Correa, what are you doing with Royce Lewis? Yeah, what are you doing with Brooks Lee? Now you've got kids that are 17 and 19 going into your organization too. Now, they could be a half decade or more later, so maybe it works out. But now all of a sudden you've got infield prospects till you're blue in the face. No, and, and you're, but that's you know one of the rule of baseball scouting. Draft center fielders, draft shortstops, because they can always you know step back into positions that are less, uh, less demanding. Brooks Lee, they've said from the day they drafted him, they're not sure he can stick it short. So I think there's your second baseman replacement, right? Uh, this kid, they say he's got the arm and the movement to play shortstop. We're not even talking about Martin because he hit him, him, hit him, hit himself right. out of. Well, and he could still be an outfielder too if he wanted to. So Austin Martin has Sorry. more of a, a gamut of positions, whereas you know Luis Arise, who they departed ways with or parted ways with, if I want to speak proper English, doesn't have a position at all. This is so difficult to wrap your head around because yeah. again, I understand all of it, and that's the tough part to come to the understanding. I did see one Facebook status from a friend of mine yesterday that I thought summarized it perfectly. He said, I 100% understand this trade, and I'm still 100% sad they made it. That's probably yeah, the most accurate way to look at it. Yep, I think that sounds about right. I think Louis Arise is going to be a guy that Minnesota fans want around, whether yeah. it be a signing thing when he's older, a Twins Fest when he's older, because I think there's that love, that passion piece. Um, but as far as baseball-wise, the Louis Arise is a guy who's just redundant for a lot of different spots. Right. So. Now, some people argue, well, wait a minute. Why didn't he have a position? He was up for a gold glove last year at first base, and he was absolutely forced into that position and was serviceable. Yep. Now, some people will look at the stats and go, he had zero errors. How is he just serviceable? Well, you also can't make an error on a ball you can't get to. Yes. I was not impressed with his range at all, and I'll even say this. I think Luis Arise got up for a gold glove the same way that Don Mattingly won a bunch of them. There's no question in my mind that Ken Herbeck was a better defensive first baseman than Don Mattingly for most of both of their careers. But Don Mattingly dwarfed Ken Herbeck offensively, and even though it shouldn't, that gets factored into gold glove selections for me. 100% agree. Uh, here's the thing. I hope Louis Arise goes down to Miami, sets himself at first base, and becomes an all-star. But see, he's not going year. to because they've already said that they're going to change the position of that Chisholm kid and put Luis Arise at second base, which to me is a risk. It is because his knees aren't going to play second base. He's not going to be able to make the turn by the end of the season. Now, here's the other thing. Everybody focused on this is unheard of to trade a batting champion. Well, the last and only other team to do it was the Minnesota Twins when they traded Rod Carew. Now, the only plus I can give you to that, and I said this to somebody yesterday, I said, well, you know, the good news is, is 12, 13 years after that trade, the Twins won it all twice. If they do that here, post Luis Arise, I'm in. And it's and hopefully Lopez is better than Ron Jackson, you know. Right. Well, and here's the other <laughs> piece. Lendero. Now I, I heard from the negatives, and these are the same people that I had to talk off the ledge for the TJ Hawkins in trade. I heard I can't believe you trade a batting champion for a guy with a sub five hundred record and some arm injuries. And I get part of that. The arm injuries, that's always gonna scare you because Chris Paddock and everybody else. That's the twins MO right. over the past year. We have a type, like yep. I said. But are we obsessed with the win-loss record? 
Yes, Pablo Lopez is technically 28 and 31 in his career, but he came from the Marlins. Who's going to be over 500 coming from the Miami Marlins? If somebody came from the Yankees with a dazzling record but an ERA over a run higher, are you going to be excited about him? Let's let's deeper dive. Michael Walker had an outstanding record. Most people don't want the Twins to sign him. There's so, got to be something else you look at. So, I, and you know my feeling on starting pitchers in this team. I don't think it matters. I think they need a guy who's going to go and get a four ERA over four and a half innings, maybe five, and then they're going to run their bullpen out there. Well, now Bailey Ober is probably in the bullpen. Here we go. But now if you base it on that theory, I hate this trade because in something like a third of his starts, Lopez has gone into the seventh, which is exactly what this Twins team needs. Unless, not unlike the Vikings defense, schematically the Twins won't do it. If you're going to bring Pablo Lopez in here to get you into the fifth, it's a waste. Uh, I believe both Cincinnati pitchers that we picked up last year would tell you that's exactly what happened. Sonny Gray and the guy that I mispronounced his name a minute ago, uh, both came in with guys or guys that threw seven innings and they averaged five innings because that's what we do. Right. So in that sense, why go get a pitcher when you're not going to use them correctly? Why go get a pitcher at the expense of your batting champion? If you're only going to do the five-inning bit, Deal Max Kepler for a four or a five and have him go four or five. That's my question. Here's what you traded then. You traded a, a guy, a singles hitter without a whole lot of power who doesn't right. have a defensive position for a guy who's going to pitch five innings. Sounds still like a pretty even trade. See, and I will go the overly positive for both and hope it maps out this way. You traded a batting champion who made the all-star team last year. I laughed right. when somebody said all-star second baseman. Well, no. But you traded a batting champion who was an all-star for a guy who, for a third of his starts, can get you into the seventh, I'm absolutely in. Yeah. If we if if our organization, starting with our manager and those people, change their entire MO over the past two years, then I'm in. Yep. Well, and the other question still, not unlike the Correa signing, and now we're up against it a little bit for time, but is this the latest domino and there's another one coming? Is Max Kepler yes. still going to be here? Who is your DH in this lineup now? Who is your first baseman in this lineup? If it's Alex Kirilov, there's another concern that hasn't been addressed. Yep. Because you did part ways with somebody who has bad knees, but has mostly been healthy. And the rest of your lineup, if you assume health, could be tremendous. Assuming health with this group is a pretty tall order. At, at risk. At yes, risk. big the, time. The guy it frees up is Larnock. Because now I, I was kind of thinking Trevor Larnock might end up playing in St. Paul next year. But if, if uh, Kepler gets dealt, uh, then I think Trevor Larnock all of a sudden is in the outfield. Here's the thing, though. I just said, if you deal Max Kepler, you probably get another third, fourth, or fifth. How many of those do you want? I, I agree. They should trade him for a bullpen guy because, who can go. Because you probably already have Bailey Ober now in St. Paul, do you not? No, or I think he's in the pen. unless Kent and Maeda can't do it, then you've got Bailey Ober I, still as your fifth. I think Ober's in the pen. I think they're going to tell him to turn it loose for an inning and or two and let it go. Because now he'll go from 94 to 98, and he's 6'9", and right. I think it makes sense. All right, so this is still looking like five number threes. But let yes. me tell you the rotation the way I see it. Okay. And you tell me what you think of it, and we've got two minutes. Okay. So I'll put Lopez as number one. I'll put Gray at number two. I'll put Joe Ryan at three. I'm missing somebody now. Kenta. Or no, Tyler Malley, Malley at four. Mm-hmm. And Kenta Maeda at five. And truthfully, as I did that, you could probably flip Malley to three and Ryan to four. That's not bad, but how good is it? Uh, it's, it's better than it's previous fine. years by a lot. Yeah, it, it is better than previous years. They've got competent major league starters up and down the lineup. Perfect world. Your one is Maeda. Your two is Sonny Gray. Your three is Pablo Lopez. 
Your four is the other I guy think from you're Cincinnati. You're so depending upon Maeda, who hasn't pitched in a year. Yeah, I am, but they're only going to ask him to go five. And then you've got uh, Ryan uh, as your fifth guy. Um, I, I, perfect world, right? So if Maeda can't pitch, he obviously isn't going to be your one, but he's got the best stuff. If you're only going to ask pitchers to go five, then just declare that, and your fan base should stop begging for pitching because right. you're not really using them. You are using yes. a slightly <laughs> larger version of the opener. Correct. All of those things you just said is proof over the last two years. All right, so around the diamond real quick, the lineup. I'll start Vasquez behind the plate. Yep. Third base, Miranda. Yep. Shortstop, Correa. Yep. Second base, Polanco. Yep. First base, Kirilov. Yep. Left field right now, Gallo. Yep. Center field, Buxton for eight games till he's out. Right field, Kepler. DH, I'll give it to Larnick, but my God, they need a right-handed bat somewhere. They do, and that's where Kepler's going to end up going. I think they'll end up getting a first a right-handed bat for him. This has been fun. Again, a lot of people contributed today. Dave Hoops, Justin May, Aubrey Lesty, oh yeah, PA, oh yeah, and Twins Talk. We tend to do a lot of that. Yep, no, that's a pretty good show for us. I eh? go back to your point right there. We're caring about the Twins. You and I always do. Others actually did yesterday. <laughs> yeah, true. Isn't that exciting? That's back. Another exciting Saturday on the Northland Sports page. We are done. Have a good weekend. We'll see you next week.